gonna rock this shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Emma Wilson. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. How was your baby for so many years? For so long, I was your song. Short while, and you said to me, I need your time. Cause you found a woman, and you had a child, and the days were gone when we could be wise. Now she's hurt you, you're calling me, you won't let me go.
tell me she's pretty You tell me she's sweet Then you say to me
from her brand new release and we got emma on the line right now hey emma how you been hey richard oh i've been great i've had a fantastic weekend with my album coming out and the uk blues awards so i can tell you all about that when when you're ready but it's been great i'm buzzing (laughs) okay well tell me a little bit about that what what happened with the uk blues awards well um we have a, a great uh um uh, we have a great foundation called the UK Blues Federation, UK Blues Federation in, in the UK. And it's run by volunteers who are blues enthusiasts, but are very clever people, you know, have had other jobs and worked in other industries, but are passionate about blues. And um, they uh, create um, opportunities for musicians in the UK. They have... Um, they help with venues and they help with supporting uh, acts with publicity, not financially, but uh, offering them press and support. And um, they have an awards ceremony. And the categories change from year to year. For instance, last year they had a um, uh, an award for the best online blog and the best online um, gig. So that was really interesting. Um, and this year, I was nominated as the Emerging Blues Artist of the Year. They don't use the word best. They've, they informed me that I made a mistake because I put on my Facebook that I was for best emerging artist. They're very keen not to say best, which I understand because <laughs> we all like to be fair. So I was nominated um, by the Blues Federation um, as Emerging Artist of the Year. And so what they do is all the members of the federation um, can vote for who they think has um, created the most impact with their performance, recordings and presence over that year. And hey ho, I went to the awards last night and I won. Nice. I know, it was amazing. And I was in a really strong category because there's been some really great acts coming out of the UK last year. So it's over the last, sort of last year, really, and coming into this year. And um, it was funny because they contacted me about three weeks ago and said, would I like to perform at the awards? 
And I said, oh, I'd love to perform. And uh, and as I was thinking about it, I thought they've either asked me to perform because I've won or they've asked me to perform as a consolation prize. <laughs> so I thought they might say, oh, you haven't won, but you can do a couple of songs. <laughs> um, so fortunately, Richard, they announced the uh, my category before I performed because I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I want to know. So it was hosted by Paul Jones, who was, of course, with the blues band, very uh, famous uh, blues musician from here. And he also, for many, many years, had his own blues show on BBC Radio 2. So that was exciting. He was the host. And I was the second category to be um, announced. I was a bit nervous. I was sitting with a band. My arms and legs were shaking a bit because it was a really packed room. And uh, they said, and the winner is Emma Wilson. And I thought, okay, don't be emotional. Don't be emotional. I got up and uh, I was so delighted to accept the award. And it's been it's been just a whirlwind. And my Facebook's sort of gone ma- mad with people messaging me. And I've just driven home and walked into my house and I'm talking to you. So it's right off the bat, really. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's talk a little bit about your history and how you got to this point in your career. So give us kind of the story of Emma Wilson. Okay, well, I've I've always, I was a very precocious musical child, always singing and always at the front of the choir. So I've always had music in me and always been a singer innately, you know. And when I got to 16, 17 uh, in the UK, you normally start deciding whether you want to go to university or go into some sort of profession um, as a as a sort of a startup job and things like that. And when I got to that age, all I really wanted to do was sing. And, um, you know, historically people say, don't go into the music business because you'll never make any money and, and, you know, you'll be poor and you'll never be successful. But my family supported me and from the age of 16 I wasn't really making any money out of it but I was in bands but I was only young so I was living with my parents and they they just were excited for me and and uh, I started getting into bands and people liked me people liked what I did and and other bands were inviting me to join them so I really had a great education my university or say college years in in America were being in several bands with older musicians. So I was brought through that system by being in bands. And I was in a great big soul review band with two other singers with a great big horn section, Hammond organ, drums, bass, uh, percussion. And that was a real education because the whole thing about gigging um, is you it's an it's a language you need to learn that on stage working with a pa monitors no monitors you know learning your songs that was my education and then after that i i started making a bit of money at singing and but never really found my stride and really what my genre was and i was getting quite frustrated so i had sort of an epiphany and thought why don't I just do what I love doing instead of trying to be 
like another artist or trying to fit into a genre, just go back to those records that you cherished as a child, as a teenager. And those records were the music of the Stax artists, Motown, Anne Peebles, B.B. King, Robert Cray, and then going back to Muddy Waters and the blues. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to start covering their songs. And it was through performing songs by those artists that I found my soul being really nourished and I knew that was right for me and then we fast forward to me being acknowledged as that singer gosh you're 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 a you're a great blues singer you're a, you have so much soul and to get that feedback was was what made me believe in myself and then about two years ago I was at a gig doing some covers and I handed a friend of mine who's a DJ a CD by another contemporary band, blues band, who I won't mention because it kind of doesn't even matter who it was. And he looked at me and he's quite posh, as we say in England, you know, quite sort of, you know, posh. Do you know what posh is? Yeah, kind of you fancy dancing. Upper class, a bit. Yeah. yeah, fancy dancing. Yeah. And he said, why are you giving me these CDs by other artists I want to hear Emma Wilson and sort of theatrically sort of chucked it over his shoulder. And we laughed, but he said, I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. And I'm from the northeast of England and we like a challenge. And I was fired up. And I went off and wrote one song. And that song was Wish Her Well. And it seemed like a very simple song to me. I just thought okay it can't be that difficult talk about yourself talk about a bluesy experience and the experience was uh that, that i felt the most bluesy <laughs> the spirit the experience that had broken my heart um was uh realizing that a boyfriend was in love with somebody else but he wouldn't admit it and he was touring and throwing and she was on the peripheral and and I, I could see her and I knew her. And and this song was, you can have him, but hey, I wish you well, because he's not easy. And that was the song that started to get played on the radio. But only one original. So it got played and it got played and it got reviewed and people loved it. And I thought, you know what, I can do this. I want to do some more. And I was just about to go into the studio when we had COVID, mm. March 2020. So over COVID, I really, we all ground to a halt. You know, I had a gig list, 19 gigs just wiped out. And they were only like three months, you know. And uh, my mother who keeps all my publicity in magazines, had a magazine and it had a little feature about me, about Wish Her Well and the gigs I was doing. And she said, why aren't you in any of the, we, we always get them every month, a subscription, Blues Matters and Blues in Britain. And we look at them and we talk about them. She's very interested in what I do. 
She says, why aren't you in this one? You're not in January, you're not in March, you're not in April, you're not in May, you're not in June. I said, mum, I haven't got a product out and I'm not gigging. And she looked me in the eye and she said, I know why you're not gigging, but why aren't you making music? And of course I wanted to say, well, I can't go in the studio. I can't. And I thought, you know what? Come on, I'm a think, think, think. <laughs> I sound like Aretha. <laughs> think about what you're trying to do to me. Um, and I was lucky enough to find a fantastic piano player who recorded remotely. And I recorded, um, well, I kind of had an afternoon in the studio. I managed to get myself in a bubble with, with a producer. And we did four hours and uh, I recorded a piano vocal album and, and then I recorded another one in 2020. So I had two EPs out in 2020. They were piano voice and they were just covers because I kind of couldn't expect this guy to go through the rigmarole of learning new material and all that. And those two EPs, Feel Good and Love Heart, got to number one and number two in the IBBA, the UK blues charts. And I thought, my goodness, there's something happening here. There's some sort of alchemy. There's some sort of buzz around me. So here we are, Christmas 2020. There's a buzz. People are reviewing those albums. They're doing well. Send us some pictures. We want to talk to you. When's the new album coming out? And uh, I came to a halt. UK was still in lockdown. People weren't going in the studio and blah, blah, blah. And I was thrown this incredible lifeline by my friend, Matt Hector. Matt Hector is a very successful drummer. He has been on the road with Iggy Pop for six to seven years, touring all over Brazil, America. Sensational, sensational musician. However, Iggy was off the road. Everybody was off the road in lockdown. And Matt had built a studio. So we were talking on the phone at Christmas and I said, oh, I've got this album in my head. And he said, you know what? Come to my studio. I'll bring in my friends and we'll have a go. So I had nothing to lose. So by the March, we created a bubble, which is, do you have that same thing in America where you can, you can work with so many people providing you're all COVID checked? And I went to his studio for five days and it was the most fantastic five days of my life musically because we sat and we started the album. And the story goes that we did five days and then we did another five days a few months later. And that became the album that I've just finished that came out on Friday the 13th of May, two days ago, three days ago. Nice. Okay. <laughs> well, let's talk about that, that release. Um, you know, it, a good release always starts with good songs. And you'd mentioned, you know, a little bit about your process as a songwriter, but you know, every writer has their way of tapping into that muse when they sit down. What, what do you do that kind of gets those juices flowing? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a thinker and 
I'm, I was doing an, an interview um, the other day and I actually came out with something that I hadn't even really thought of. And I said, I have a lot of internal dialogue. I do, I do, you know, my family, I say I'm typically the kind of person that says, oh, look, there's a unicorn because I'm a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. I'm constantly thinking, talking, laughing to myself. Oh, I remember that story. So I have this internal dialogue about people, about emotions, about experiences going on in my head the whole time. So you couple that with the fact that I have music going on in my head all the time. And for some incredible reason, those two things came together. So because I would be wandering around, I'd be in the car and I'd think about something, da, 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 ba, ba, and the words would come out. And there's something that just clicks with me. Um, so I realized that I could use my phone. Um, I found the voice recorder on my phone. And whenever I had a little ditty in my head, I'd just record it. So I ended up with about 30 ditties and riffs and and things. That, or if I'd hear, might be listening to Otis Redding and hear a little come out of the car and then be singing that riff and think, oh, that's cool. Can I try and work my way around that? Can I make my own version of that? So I had all these different snippets on the phone. And of course, Matt and his two two guys, his two friends, one is a drummer. Uh, we had drums, bass and guitar. And I'll tell you about those men in a minute. But they were like, they were saying, well, Emma, you know, we don't have a lot to work on here. <laughs> you know, you've got to have to try harder. So I managed to really knuckle down and and make songs and just sing them into my phone and middle eights and bridges and choruses and sections and work on the stories. And uh, I sent I sent them in that form really just. I think in the pop industry they call them top line, don't they? Which is the melody and the the uh, the lyrics. Right. So yeah, just like a top line melody and lyric. So I created the melody and lyric, and I have a little. I have a piano at home, and I just would hear a chord and say, "I think it goes from this to this to this," and it was that simple. And the genius that is Mark Neary, who is the bass player on the album. Um, he's also a keyboard player and plays bass and guitar. He took that and the three of them pre-produced the album before I went in. So we had sort of some roots. They had their ideas. I had my ideas. And when we got together, oh, I'll tell you something else. They asked for a playlist, and I'm going to mention the S word, Spotify. Sorry, Richard. That's okay. Go for it. They asked. They asked for a Spotify playlist of all my favorite influences, and on that Spotify playlist was the Pointer Sisters, Little Feet, John Hyatt, Rikuda, Muddy Waters, and Peebles in abundance, Aretha, and then other stuff like um, Robert Palmer. So a whole mishmash. They said, don't think about it. Just make a playlist. Boom, 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 boom. All the stuff you like. And there was a bit of surf rock and there was a bit of northern soul. So when we got together in these beautiful five days, the first day, 
was all pulling the tracks together. Now, in honesty, we only did seven in the first five days, which is a hell of a lot, but we did the first seven. So in the first day, we op- we sat around, the guys plugged their instruments in, set the drum kit up, set a mic up for me, and said, okay, let's go. What's the first song? Mary Lou. Dun, 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 dun. They started playing, shuffle drums, bass. My heart swelled. My God, I can sing over this. Sang the song. And then, of course, I'm not going to say they were all magic to start with. We'd have a think and say, hmm, maybe we need the guitar to do that there. Oh, yeah, should we try this? And that's how they came about. Organically, real, you know, sitting around. And we spent those days doing that. And, you know, like I say, there were moments where I had to have a think, mm, cup of tea, can we come back to this? But they're so genuine as people and as musicians. And we're talking about Matt Hector, drummer, Mark Neary, bass player, Adam Chetwood, guitarist. And they were just fabulous and created an album that I love. I've played it all the way home in the car for five hours because <laughs> I love it. Nice. I love it. Now, you know, um, a lot of songwriters have embraced technology as tools uh, in their writing, whether it's their cell phone to capture ideas or they have a home recording studio or there's certain software they like to use, like Mr. Writer or Songwriter's Pad or whatever the case may be. What are some of the tools in your toolkit that you find indispensable when you sit down to write? I have to be honest, Richard. It's literally my phone. I don't play. I play the clarinet. I mean, you know, I don't think that's a very good tool for writing songs. It might be, but... I haven't tried it. Maybe I'm missing a trick, but I literally just sing them into my phone. However, I will listen back to them and I can punch out on a piano. But other than that, I did have some Zoom lessons with a fantastic guy uh, in Germany, my friend Olaf. He taught me how to use Pro um, uh, Pro Tools um, because I wanted to learn, you know. Um, and he gave me some Zoom lessons. And um, I got the gear and I got my interface and and I tried recording some vocals and some harmonies. But by the time I'd rigged it all up, I'd kind of lost my mojo. So I have to be honest, I can't, I can't tell you anymore. I don't okay. use any technology. I'm sorry. I, that, it's literally just come out of my head. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, there's a lot of songwriters, when I ask that question, you know, they come out with, you know, a pad and pencil. You know, that's as high tech as they get. So you're not alone. No. You're not alone. Now, uh, of course, every writer gets, has to get to that point where they you know, give the songs to the band and the producer and and declare them to be, you know, done at the writing phase, at least initially. Um, what do you do to determine when a song is finished? It has to be, well, it's a new process for me. It's so new to me that I, 
I think I had to sort of almost detach myself um, and think of myself as the listener. And it had to be something I enjoyed listening to. If there was any bit of the song that didn't feel right or I didn't like, I, I binned it, as we say, right? put it in the trash. I got rid of it. So I, I was very, very um, critical of myself and listened back to a lyric. Um, I learned myself about artistic license. Um, I wanted to talk about heartbreak and um, the lyric preceding it um, was, I, you're not my kind. And then the lyric after that had to be, um, but you fell out of love with me, but that didn't work. So I said, your heart would unwind. And at the time, I was just writing that word down, unwind, because I thought it, it rhymed. And then I, it's gone in the song, because it sounds good. And your heart would unwind. And people are like, gosh, yeah, I like that. I understand what that means. That, that, that beautiful heart that was tight and full of love unwound and it all spilled out. So there were, there were bits that I thought were wrong that I kept in lyrically. Um, musically, I had a lot of guidance from the musicians. Um, I can't tell you whether something is in an F key or B flat, but I can hear it. Um, and there would be a moment where I would think, no, it needs to modulate there or it needs to be, be slightly. I would shout out a chord or I'd say, well, can you put your finger on that, that chord? You know, it needs to go like that. And they were so patient with me and say, yeah, that's right. But with regard to if a song's finished, I think all I can say is I refer back to the greats, the Otis Reddings, the, the great songwriters, who know how to put a song together. And I, I did take guidance from that. I went back and listened to a lot of a lot of great music. And songs don't have to be too long. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a habit um, I've noticed in, uh, well, in blues at the moment, that in order to get longer plays on the radio, People are writing really long songs, <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of um, you kind of end with a radio show that's comprised of an hour show comprised of like eight songs that are like rambling on for ages, and then I would be putting out these three minute songs, thinking, well, that's not very fair, you know. I've tuned in, and, I, and these people are playing for eleven minutes. And, and I think it's a little bit self-indulgent. I mean, I think it could be too much. And I think you can, you can, if you can get in what you mean and it sounds great, okay, if it's five minutes, that's fine. If it is 20 minutes, then it, it has a story. But a song has to have a story and it has to have impact. So I was very critical about myself. I, I cut some stuff out. Um, and ultimately, Richard... I had to, like I said at the beginning, detach myself and say, would I put this on in the car and love it? And if I didn't, I binned it. Okay. It's fair enough. 
Now, tell me a little bit about the lineup on this. Who's playing on it? Well, yes, we've got uh, drums, Matt Hector, terrific drummer, very experienced drummer, uh, so groovy, so lyrical. I call him a singer's drummer because he listens. He really listens. And we played live quite a lot before, you see. So we had a connection. And when you're singing, you're standing, traditionally, you're standing right in front of the drum kit. So you're getting this energy from behind you and uh, you don't really make a lot of eye contact with a drummer. You, it's all based on feel, you know. So we had a great connection and we knew we worked well together. So that was a given. And he brought in his friend, Mark Neary, who is a cool, cool, cool guy. He's from Newcastle in England. We call them Geordies. And he's very cool and calm and collected an absolutely sensational musician and producer. He set up all the production. He brought in ball and biscuit microphones. He brought in all sorts of uh, unusual amps. He's got a whole collection of uh, vintage microphones, amplifiers, all sorts of boxes with lights on. I don't even know what they were, but they were amazing. He was great. And then uh, his his previous experiences working for Noel Gallagher and um, uh, many, many other great acts. And then came along Adam Chetwood. He's a guitarist, very calm, sweet guy. Um, but I always say that when he starts playing, it's like someone's um, plugged him into the electrics <laughs> because... <laughs> He sits there very calm and, you know, lovely. And then when he starts to play, he's like he's like a demon. He came along with his beautiful guitars, his matchless, you know, guitar amp and his fenders and, and his gorgeous guitars. And uh, he just played the life out of it. He works with Imelda May and he worked uh, with, no, uh, with um, Mark Ronson for a long time when Mark Ronson was based in London. Adam was his go-to guitarist. So you've got guys, that was the core, the three of us. Okay. Um, Mark also um, added um, Hammond organ uh, and Matt added percussion. I did backing vocals and we had a special guest on harmonica um, on one track, Alessandro Brudetta, who's from Italy. He played a killing uh, harmonica solo on Not Paying which was recorded remotely and just sent us the file. So that was it. There's four of us plus a little guest spot with uh, Alessandro. And we we co-wrote and co-produced the whole shebang. Nice. Now, of yeah. course, you put together a team of, to uh, to get it out to radio and, of course, to press. And, yeah. and you're working with Frank Rozak from Frank Rozak Promotions. How did that relationship begin? When I, oh, I, I research people, I research acts, I'm fascinated by how people do what they do and where they get where they go. And Frank Rosak kept popping up in photographs of American artists and comments. And I thought, who is this guy and why don't I know him and why don't I know about him? So I researched him and I found an email address about two years ago and I corresponded with him and, and Frank 
sent me an email back and said, um, hello, thank you for contacting me. I'm praying something like this. Um, I'll have a listen to your music. It was one line. He came back to me. This was when I was doing my acoustic piano vocal stuff. And we corresponded like this for about two years. I like your music. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well done. It was very snappy. And it was just, Frank was just, at that time, another person who was giving me giving me snippets of advice. But that was it. And then he said to me, you know, these are great, but when are you going to make a really good album? When are you going to make a full album? And I said, actually, Frank, I've got one in the can. So then things started to get interesting. And I said, I'm about to release it um, myself. And he sent me an email back saying, send me it, please. Please send me it. And I sent him it on a SoundCloud. Uh, we had a SoundCloud, private SoundCloud um, uh, thingy, you know, mm-hmm. with the album on because I'd been sending it to journalists and stuff. And he came back within 24 hours and said, you can't release this album until I've introduced you to somebody. And I thought, oh, right, okay, I can't release the album. And Frank Rozak picked this album up and ran with it like Usain Bolt. He has been extraordinary. He took that album to Johnny Phillips at Selecto Hits, who... I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners will know who he is, but I will I will explain that Johnny Phillips is the nephew of Sam Phillips of Sun Records. And he owns Selecto Hits in Memphis. And I received an email from Johnny Phillips saying, um, I really like your music. Um, I'm interested in distributing your album. And this all happened within two or three weeks. And Johnny, I don't even feel like I can call him Johnny because I have so much respect for him. But like Mr. Phillips, but I, I'll call him Johnny for the purposes of the interview. Um, we started corresponding. And to be quite honest, and, and this is, this is, I'll say this quite openly. He said to me, it would be basically if you, I can distribute this album, but you need Frank Rozak. So that was a private message between me and Johnny. And I said, yeah, I want Frank Rozak to be involved. I absolutely want him to be involved. So that was the team. We had Frank Rozak, publicist, Johnny Phillips distributing in North America, which they do North America. And then during the correspondence, we, we, we talked about the contract and that was that was really easy. And they were so respectful to me and, and supportive and we worked all that out. And then Johnny said, you know, we, I don't know what, what he said because you say in England, we're missing a trick. He basically said, you're an English artist, you're a British artist. Currently, your core audience is the UK and probably Europe. We need to get you some distribution in that territory. And he hooked me up with Lynn Lancaster, 
who is the American representative for Proper Music UK. And she is distributing my album through Proper, who are a UK distribution company, in the UK, Europe, New Zealand and Australia. So think about those three incredible people. Frank Rozak, Johnny Phillips, Lynn Lancaster. Lynn worked for Sugar Hill for 14 years. She's absolutely finger on the button. And those three people picked me and the album up and just went for it. And it's gone. Have you? I don't know if you've looked at that RMR report today, but last week I was at number three in the UK releases of the Roots Music Report. Nice. Number 32 in the the international contemporary blues chart and to me that's just mind-blowing that's all happened in three months and because of them and i say that to i say that to frank and he's and 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 lynn and johnny and they say yeah but the product's good emma don't don't underestimate what you've created and as an english i'm i have that english thing i'm like oh no no i didn't do that and it's not about me. And they're like, it is about you. It is about you. You made it. And the confidence that they've given me has changed my whole perspective on myself. They've been unbelievable. Okay. Well, let, let's, and I love them. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about the business, you know. Um, yeah, okay. You know, over the last 20 years, uh, the digital revolution has redefined the music industry several times over. And, you know, no matter how much you may complain, the consumer has embraced streaming as a way to consume music. And the result of that is that they no longer look at recorded music as a product to purchase anymore. It's now... Mm a service that's on their phone 24-7 that they look to to be able to listen to whoever they find out about. At a moment's notice, they have access to almost 100 years of recorded music. Uh, Mm. You know, how has this perception change by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well... Because this is my first big release, my proper release, I don't have any experience of what it was like, say, five years ago. So this is an area that I'm navigating through as a new experience. Um, my instinct is to say that uh, I'm, I'm fortunate in the respect that a lot of my bands like CDs. However, as my audience is growing, people are downloading the record and people are accessing it on Spotify. And my album, as I say, came out four days ago and the groundswell of support's been immense. And I use, thanks to you, Richard, I use TikTok and Instagram. There you You go. Yeah, you got me hooked up with that last year. Um, TikTok, um, I'm kind of getting a bit more used to, but Instagram's been amazing because I think that is a younger market. I think Facebook's potentially now for an older market, which is still cool. 
But Instagram's opened me up to a younger market and they are asking for streaming service. Is it on Spotify? Is it on uh, these different Deezer and things like that? And of course, I have to say, yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, I will find out in a few days from Lynn and because Lynn is counting up the numbers for uh, the distribution. Um, Selecto Hits are actually distributing me digitally as well as physically. Uh, Proper Music UK are just doing physical sales. Um, So they'll be counting up all the digital sales and the physicals for the UK to see if I've hit the blues charts in the UK. So we're looking at um, adding up the CD sales and adding up the downloads. Um, so we'll, I will have some sort of concept of what's going on. But I do think there is an element of, it's a bit sad really, that we are losing a sense of uh, music as a tangible product that you can nurture and hold and have in your home and then again we're living in a world where everything is you know like stardust isn't it it's just moving around and floating around and I don't know myself I don't I don't really download music I I go out and buy CDs but I'm very very old school in that respect I have to say I do listen to stuff on Spotify, but that's mainly for reference. I don't know. I, I think it's a funny one for me because it's, it's an area that I'm just going to find out about. And I might, you know, I could speak to you in a month's time and say, oh, my goodness, I hate it. Or I could say it's been incredible for me. But I do think that it's a bit sad that we are losing that. I have to say I got a, I got a message from somebody today saying, um, when are you releasing the album on vinyl? But it's so expensive to produce. Yeah. And how can I justify printing 100 copies, never mind 1,000 copies? I was even trying to work it out in the car. I was thinking, if I made 100 copies, I'd have to sell them for like £40 as special editions to make the money back, you know? Right. Do I, do I, do I say to my fans... I'm going to make 50 copies, but they're 50 quid. Who knows? Maybe they might go for it. It's a funny one. Yeah. I don't really know enough about the streaming system to, I might get bitten on the butt because I don't know enough. (laughs) I don't know. Well, you know, one of the things that um, happened when, when streaming became really popular, the record companies started freaking out. And then they realize that they can go to Spotify and they can create their own deals. And that's pretty much what they did. And they they created their own deals where they got a larger share of the pie than the average independent artist. And what was left for the independent artist, the indie artists were given this take-it-or-leave-it-or mentality where, listen, if you want to have access to our worldwide market you know just take what we give you and and just shut up you know and they held the reins they held the reins didn't they yeah Mm. they held the reins and so you know you know that that's not sustainable because what is happening is it's diminishing 
and eliminating the music industry's middle class. And a huge segment of that is, you know, studio owners and, and studio musicians and, you know, uh, that whole segment that that um, makes a living out of creating recorded music. Once there's not an economic incentive to create recorded music, people are going to look at it as a losing proposition, you know, and without big money, you know, being put into it, people are going to stop doing it. Studios are going to close, you know, and we're going to go, you know, pretty much to the home recording enthusiast as, as being the only place to go. Um, what do you think, mm. you know, uh, of of this dilemma that we have, you know, with the music industry's middle class being diminished by this, the fact that recorded music has lost its um, economic incentive? I think it's terrifying. I think it's horrible. I think the fact that, that we're going to be homogenized and made to to create only via home studio or only via um not because for me the whole experience of being in the studio with those people um was what made the music real it's 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 making everything so unreal and and uh fractured and weak in a way because we're losing the whole meaning of what we're doing we're creating something beautiful an art form and it's just becoming as we discussed previously it's becoming like a currency and when anything becomes like that it's like prostitution it's it's just it's a real shame and i don't think um i don't think it's good i think it's really sad I think it's really sad. And having had the experience of making an album in such a, an old fashioned way, old fashioned, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm, it's scary to think that that might happen. Well, you know, there is technology coming out and, and we know, first of all, that, you know, as we've watched over the last 20 years with the digital revolution, things are constantly evolving. I mean, we've gone from Napster all the way up to now, uh, you know, Spotify. So we know that there is going to be more technology, more uh, innovation and changes within the industry. And one of the technologies that I'm watching very closely right now Mm -hmm. is this whole world of blockchains and NFTs where there are blockchain streaming services that are promising to pay the artist up to 90% of the incoming revenue uh, back to the artists that are, that are making the content. Um, what do you think of this new technology as a way to kind of bring back control to the artist and how the music is presented and how the revenue streams are d- divided? Well, you gave me an example uh, of how this works, and it sounds really interesting. It's completely new to me. Um, and uh, I understand that it allows fans to invest in the, in the, the artist and become sort of the street team and uh, 
be able to gain financially from promoting their act, their, their favorite act. I think it's a very clever idea. I mean, I, uh, along with being a singer, I worked in in retail in sales, and um, I remember somebody saying to me, "Broad and shallow," which means the more things that you sell for less, you're better off selling a thousand items for three pounds than one item for a thousand pounds you know broad and shallow so the more more you sell the more you spread your your audience you know the better you're going to do right um the position i'm in at the moment is i think i'm very lucky in in that i am the record company uh because my deal with um with with johnny at selecto hits is a distribution deal and proper so i retain all my royalties and all my rights so if 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 Netflix took one of my songs. That's all mine. You know, they are working on the. They're assisting me with the physical distribution. Now, how that works with what you're talking about? Would, would does that cut out a distributor? I don't know how that works. Okay. Well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm in a really fortunate position. And if I could just elaborate on that a little bit, because I've sort of answered my own question, really. Um, Without the assist at my stage, right, I was Billy No Mates. I nobody knew who I was two and a half years ago, and and then I started to make a little bit of an impact on the scene. And in the last month, because of my connection with Selecto Hits, who are an extraordinary company and and proper music, and Frank Rosak, that has inverted commas bought me a huge swathe of free publicity and being acknowledged by thousands of people, fans and journalists all over the world. So my distribution deal is a deal that, you know, obviously they, they get a percentage of what they sell. That's a deal. That's, that's business. But I could not have bought that publicity at my point in the business. I think it's different for Naz and these people that we're referring to who are already hugely successful. But having the support of an other people around you at this point, I don't think my fan base is big enough for it to work for me at that at, at the moment. Does that make sense? Yes, I it, it makes definitely it makes sense. Well in and speaking of that, you know, one of the things that um happened when the pandemic hit is that a lot of artists really invested time into creating content whether it was live streams or music videos or even just content about their lives and things that they mm. do outside of music and they use social media as a way to create a branding opportunity almost like a reality show mentality yeah and and it's gotten to the point where some artists have realized that the brand now has become the new product. That yeah. if you're looking for fans to invest in you as an artist, you need to create a brand that they can uh, attach themselves to. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you're doing uh, besides, of course, TikTok and Instagram uh, that that are helping create your brand and, and getting, you know, more fans involved in what you're doing? Well, from a, 
it was really funny because I had a Zoom meeting with Lynn Lancaster and uh, and Frank, and um, there was a point in the beginning of the conversation where Lynn said, um, "So the Emma Wilson album," and I thought, "Oh, that's me." It was weird. It was a massive, massive shift because I was suddenly in an arena with these professionals who were seeing me as a brand. That was the first time I'd ever thought that. So, and I didn't refer to it. We're in the middle of working some dates out. When are we going to release the album? But it stuck with me. And I thought, you know what, Emma, you need to step back and you have to see yourself as a third person. And you're not a big fat show off, you know, you just you just got to see yourself as a brand. And that's when I started to make inroads. And I realized that if I detached myself from the brand, I could sell myself more easily. You know, talk about myself uh, in the third person. When you have put posts up, I've stopped putting, I won the Blues Award. You know, I so said, Emma Wilson won the Blues Award. And people... It's a subconscious thing. I don't know what it is. They see you as a brand. They see you as more professional. It's more exciting. Um, whereas if you're kind of too personable about it, and like, hey, yeah, well, I won the award. You've got to be sharp and you've got to make people believe that this is something cool and this is something that they want to be involved with, you know. And um, I really persisted with my logo. I got some great photographs together. I... I did find that when I put photographs up on posts, they were getting more traction. Um, I Somebody explained doing stories on Instagram. I didn't even realize that was a thing. Loads and loads and loads of stories. And it started to build. And the more I, used, the more I got used to um, seeing Emma Wilson as a brand, the more people paid attention. Mm-hmm. So it, it does work. And... Uh, and even my presence in um, my brother's a great mentor of mine, and um, I'm very, I'm very, very, very friendly. And he said to me, "When you're out, Emma, you don't have to thank everybody personally for for coming to the gig, because I'd be going around going, oh hi, thanks for coming, great to see you, thanks for coming, great to see you.' And he said, "You you don't have to thank people, just be there." say thank you, and do the gig. So there is a detachment. And if you, you've got to be a little bit detached. I mean, Prince was a master at that, wasn't he? I mean, he oh, yeah. really was a master. He was he was the king of it. And uh, you never got near to him, and, and he didn't really do interviews. And he created this, this mystique around himself. And it made people want him more, as with anything in life, you know. Um, it's the cake through the shop window, isn't it? You know, God, I can't get to it, but I want to know more. What does it taste like? And I've experienced that. And um, whether it's a it's a trick or whether it's real, I don't know. But it seems to be working. And of course, I do embrace fans, and I, I do. You know, I met a lot of the DJs last night that I've never met. Give them a hug. Thank you so much. I'm still invested in the people, but. I've learned to be a bit more detached and that's what social media it's it's not you, you can't be fake you can't just pretend but you've got to 
and you've got to see yourself as a commodity and a brand. And uh, I think even more so now that my profile's kind of going up, I need to I need to think like that. And it doesn't mean you're being um, uh, selfish or anything like that. It just means this is a business. And if you want to, you know, if you want to sell your apples, give them a, put them in a nice box, polish them, make them look good. Right. And and make people want them, you know. My, my father was a wholesale fruit and veg merchant. And he used to say, you have to have a good flash. And a good flash was where all your fruit and veg look fantastic. Make it all look good and make people want it. Yeah. And that's what social media is brilliant for. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Well, <laughs> I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from your new release. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. And you guys are going to love this. You may want to turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun.
make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you shout. Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna 